namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa bhutang thammang sankhang namasami the 100th day uh, since uh, Sister Upala died last uh, February when I was in Thailand and the custom in uh, Thailand is to have a memorial service 100 days 50th day and 100 days uh, so I don't think we did one fiftieth for her, but a hundred. And it's uh, was a hundred days have passed since since she died, and this um, and people have varying degrees of of feelings or memories or re- emotional reactions to this perception. When uh, somebody dies, they we can, if they're close to us, and if they're, if we love them, and we have a lot of uh, strong relationship with them, then of course the, the actual death is leaves a kind of gap in the mind. It's uh, something that takes time to to uh, get over. The grieving process or the experience of loss uh, is something that that uh, I think people try to to ignore in the Western world or or suppress. Whereas in in uh, as terms of dhamma, it's something to to reflect upon. It feels this way: the loss of the loved ones. You notice that the Buddha's uh, teachings are always encouraging this this looking at the way it is, what you're actually feeling, not telling you how you should feel or how you should react when when somebody dies, but uh, encouraging you to admit and to notice what you're actually feeling. Sometimes in, in Buddhism we think uh, if we're really mindful we won't feel anything. If somebody dies then we're really mindful and we've really attained stream entry or some uh, state, uh, then we wouldn't be, when our mother dies and we don't feel anything. We just say, oh, impermanent, all conditions <laughs> rise and pass away in, in a kind of way that, uh, you know, is without really, which is not the way it is. When, when somebody dies, it feels this way, whatever way you're feeling. And mindfulness then is to know that, to know, know the feeling of loss, uh, separation from the loved, having to be with the unloved. All of this is, is noting, noticing, watching, listening to the way it is, rather than taking positions on how, how you should be or how life should be. interesting uh, the in uh, 
Buddha Grove, where Declan his ashes have been scattered. And he he was one years old, and Sister Blue was ninety-one years old. It's a ninety-year. She lived ninety years longer than Declan. But it also it's apparent that that death is something that can happen at any time, whether it's the first year or the ninety-first year. And Ruki's been walking, doing a walking practice between Declan and Upala, because Ruki lost her mother. Mother died recently. It's been an important time for her to, and having such a kind of incredibly appropriate situation to <laughs> to contemplate. This Tupala was someone who, who uh, the last years of her life were very much devoted to practice and very, very sincere, earnest uh, practicer. So that when she did die, uh, she died in the arm, literally in the arms of the Sangha, with them chanting. You know, I can't think of a nicer way to go. And that's that's how she wanted to go, and that's uh, and that's how she she did, and she she managed it somehow. <laughs> I think they sent her off to the hospital in in Hemel Hempstead, and they said, "Oh, she's she's just got a bug or something. Send her on back." And uh, fortunately, uh, you know, she would have died in the Hemel Hempstead Hospital, which wouldn't have been so so nice. So I was thinking maybe the kind of good powers of goodness in the world were down at Hemel Hansen Hospital that day and, and kind of blinding the doctors to what was actually taking place. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bug and send her on back. Death is uh, something to, I mean, that, that in Buddhist meditation we, we approach very directly. It's a subject that needs to be understood and contemplated and um, before, before our turn comes. We can see it as a, death is the, is the, is the gateway to the immortal. It's uh, death can be seen as, as merely the uh, kind of the absolute end, or it can be seen in a perspective as relationship to the immortal, the mortal to the immortal, the conditioned to the unconditioned. And this is a spiritual view, isn't it? When we're talking about uh, a spiritual consciousness and developing uh, that kind of wisdom and understanding, then we're relating death not as just absolute end. Wham, that's it. Forever blank. As, as sometimes we, that's what it means to us. We think it's just, you know, oblivion or just frightening or 
it's the end of, of what we know, what we're used to, so it, it frightens us. And let's not think about it. Let's just ignore the whole thing. Let's pretend that, that life is just, we're going to live forever. Or, say, in terms of spiritual development, we see always the relationship of death to the deathless, mortal to immortality, a condition to the unconditioned. And this is very important. Uh, this is this is the this is the liberating realization. Is is in that in that realization of the relationship. It's a relationship. It's not a. It, it, there's no. There's, it's it's not something kind. It's not fixed. A kind of static uh, perceptions. The the condition is, is, is dynamic energy, isn't it? It's changing, uh, uh, arising, ceasing, birth, being born and dying. And then the unconditional, the immortal, is, is what, say, this, this, this arising, ceasing comes from. It's interesting, though, the word existence, because... Um, to exist, the actual meaning to exist means to, to spring forth or to come forth. So what exists for us is what comes forth. And so the conditioned realm exists for us. The mortal realm exists. But the immortal doesn't exist. It is. And so you can be a real radical Christian by saying God doesn't exist. And then they condemn you as being an atheist. When you're saying God isn't something that, that comes forth and dies, God is the, then would be the, the immortal. So, in the, in the dualistic structure of thought, I mean, recognize that you're, you're stuck. If, if that's all you're, you're, you're relying on is your ability to think, then then one is caught in that kind of polarization of birth versus, uh, and, and death as uh, one opposed to the other. And uh, where things are, are polarized in a, in a linear uh, relationship. And so that the, the, uh, the thinking mind tends to see, th see things in, in black and white, good and bad, in, in absolute fixed perceptions. We tend to absolutize the perceptions yeah, that we have and so we can easily see things in, in these kind of absolute terms. Absolute good, absolute right, absolute bad, absolute wrong. And this is where we, what all the, where the problems and difficulties and wars arise in, in, our, in this human realm, isn't it? Because of that tendency to see something as, as bad, as kind of absolutely bad, all the time bad, uh, or, or all the time good, absolutely forever good. We can see uh, the, the people that don't agree with us as absolutely bad, and the people that agree with me as absolutely good. Or people that are that belong to my religious group, they're the good ones. And those that don't agree, don't go along with my particular religious conventions, are absolutely bad. 
the think the thinking process has that limitation. It tends to to fix things. In you know, it 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 uh, it, it because the thought itself, because we 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 hold on and attach to perceptions and thoughts, then then these these this grasping of thought, this grasping of perception, fixes it, and we can carry it around and and measure the flowing movement dynamic quality of life with something that's fixed that doesn't move in itself it is due to our grasping of it it we we take it and apply it even to situations where it doesn't it, it has it doesn't belong i mean what conceit and arrogance and all this come from cultural conceit and racial prejudice and and all this comes from this fixity of the mind to think that that our our race or our ethnic group or our civilization or our religion is the best or the the superior one and then to measure uh, all other aspects of uh, of somebody else's uh, group uh, according to our fixed views uh, the superiority, say, of the white race, uh, and the kind of Aryan uh, white race uh, arrogance that was, say, 50 years ago. And the, the, uh, Hitler was very much promoting the sense of the, the superiority of the white race. And yet he, he was obviously not a very superior being himself. <laughs> <laughs> it was, <laughs> was the irony of it. Uh, if there's anything that makes you inferior, it's being attached to to the idea that you're superior. <laughs> Arrogance is not uh, is not a quality of uh, of uh, enlightened and wise being, is it? It's a sign of an ignorant being, unenlightened being. The time now is where people are willing to contemplate death. And it's uh, always kind of amused me to see a, uh, when they give a death and dying weekend retreat here at Amavati, it's usually booked up in advance with a waiting list. Why do people want to come and spend a weekend uh, talking and contemplating death and dying? It's interesting, isn't it? And it's a good sign to me. It's not because it shows that there's a, a kind of maturity taking place where people are beginning to ask those kind of questions. What's it all about? What is life? What is death? What is the purpose of it? What, what happens when we die? How should we take care of dying people? What is it all about anyway? These are questions that have needed to be asked long before now, but have been kind of dismissed, pushed aside for this sense of progress, development, everything's getting better and better. 
People even, you know, 30 years ago, I remember reading an article about some, some scientists thinking that, that eventually we could live forever through modern science, that we would never have to die. And uh, this was, he was very excited about this idea that with modern, all the kind of uh, profundity and, uh, of, of modern science, that in a few years we would be able to discover how to prolong our lives forever. Which, you know, to me sounds dreadful. <laughs> Imagine if we just kept, if we all lived forever and we kept breeding more, and they all lived forever. It'd be horrible. Now obviously he hadn't even thought to that, to, uh, you know, what would actually, the result of, of, of prolonging our lifespan for eternity what that would be, you know, logically, what that would do. Can you imagine, you know, wanting to, to live in this form forever, the human form? And so in Buddhist meditation, we contemplate the, 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 the nature of the body because it isn't a very, uh, you know, it's quite remarkable in its own right, admittedly, as a condition, but as an experience, it's, it's, it can be pretty horrible. And uh, it's, it's, it's filled with pain and, and uh, all kinds of unpleasant things that we have to deal with every day just to maintain this physical body. So it's not too painful, not too unpleasant. So this, not to complain about it, but obviously that the human body uh, is not meant to be a kind of permanent abiding place for any of us. It seems quite, quite an obvious truth that, that this human form is, is a temporary experience in time. And that's all. It's not to be, to be attached to. It's not to be identified with. We don't need to. We don't, we, it doesn't matter how long you live. If you live a thousand years, ninety-one years, one year—that's that's not really. It's, it's how you live, isn't it? How wisely you you learn from from this experience—that's the important thing. Time is is another uh, convention that we regard as a as a kind of absolute reality. And just uh, contemplating how how that uh, now, say, Sister Upala was, say, a year ago, we still said Sister Upala is here and now, living here at Amravati. A year has passed, 16th of May, or uh, 16th of May of 1992 is and it's not 16th of May 1993, and Sister is dead. The perception has changed. It's different, isn't it, when we think Sister Upala is here, she's over in Metasome. Yes, she's, she's not feeling well today or whatever. We think of her, we, we talk about her in the things, in the words and the perceptions that, that are familiar to us. 
isn't it, about the health, about whether she feels good or she's happy or unhappy or, or whether she's uh, bright or dull or she's sleeping or awake or whatever. The, all these we understand. These are, we can, we can, uh, we all know what these mean. But then when we say Sister Upala is dead, died in this hundred days ago, and we don't know quite what that, we don't, we haven't died, we're, we're, we're alive. So the mind uh, does, uh, reacts in a different way, doesn't it? If we think, oh, Sister Upal is, uh, she's, yeah, she's all right. She's, she had a good meal and she's uh, had a good night's sleep. And she wants to offer a breakfast donor tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. She always gave very fantastic breakfast donors. But now we think, Sister Upal is dead. And then that's, that's, what does your mind do? Can I contemplate? Just the word dead, death, with, with the name of somebody you know. And so my mind, uh, thinking mind stops, I don't know what, what she, where she is right now. What's happened? I mean, we, we went out and, and uh, put the, uh, the, the ceremony around the, uh, the, the grave uh, and the gravestone made it all look very uh, beautifully done and a uh, way of, of, of remembering Sister Upala. Everybody kind of remembering her all at the same time. But we don't know. We, we can imagine underneath that ground is a, is a coffin that Venerable Subito made and inside that coffin lies a corpse that we would call Sister Upala and uh, we, we, haven't, we can't even see that. But does what it, maybe her, her, her vinyana or her soul is hovering around out there. Maybe she's smiling at us right now, looking at from some kind of place in the in the in the in the consciousness of eternity, uh, sending us her blessings. We can talk. We can we can create perceptions like that. Uh, but those are in the, those are perceptions we create in our mind. We can think, well, that's it. She died. That's the end. That's, there's nothing left, and uh, that's another perception. But the, the thing is, we don't know. And that's important to know that we don't know. To know what you know and what you, what you can know and what you can't know is wisdom. So this is like reflecting, isn't it? We're, we're noticing how things actually are, how, how life, what, what the what life is for us, what, it, what our mind does with it, what happens to us. We can watch it and we can listen, we can observe, we can reflect upon it. It's like this.
for some people, and uh, Sister Ubla was a uh, great uh, joy, and people, when, when their name is mentioned, people uh, have very, you know, happy memories. Other people are maybe, may not have very happy memories. Other people may be just indifferent. But to know what they, what it is, to know the, that, that what you're feeling is just that way. Is, is being mindful, contemplating the way things are. As you break down the illusions of time, the past and the present and the future, then you you can you 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 realize the eternal now, and this is this is the this is the pathway. This is the gate to the deathless, the eternal now, because that's all there ever is, is now. As an experience, it's only now, and so the. Uh, the time conditions, you know, the bodies, the the uh, the conditioned realm that we that we're experiencing is changing, and we perceive it in terms of time. The past, it was like that, but then remember that the ability to perceive things and remember tends to uh, petrify them, make them static. So when I think of Sister Upala nine years ago, Beth Trigeskis, uh, uh in an old people's home in Berkshire, and, and inviting her to Amravati, and I can I I can think, you know, that can be I can uh, get quite sentimental about it all. The thinking of of that was was uh, somehow. That is the past. That's the reality of the past. But in 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 reflection, you see, that's only a memory in the mind in the present, isn't it? That memory of of inviting Beth Trigeskis to come and live at Amravati nine years ago is a memory in my mind. That's I'm reflecting on the way it is, not on how one may like to think it is or believes it is, but. It, but as an actual uh, uh, wise reflection of, of what what has happened is, it's that way. So the the past is is merely what we remember. It has no reality in itself. It's just the the memory, the 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 human in, individual human memory. We talk to you 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 know all of you probably don't have no memory of nine years ago knowing Beth Trigeskis. So it, so it, uh, you're just depending upon me, you know, to give you the, the kind of biography of, of Sister Upala. And we assume that, that's, that, that it has a reality and a kind of, uh, some, a, a reality that it, it really is not there. We believe in it, we empower, we we make it into something like a real history 
of a, of a person through what people say. Uh, Ajahn Sumedho remembers Beth Trigeskis 16 years ago when, I, when she used to come to the Hampstead Vihara in a taxi. She lived in a, in a kind of old people's home in Shepherd's Bush and used to drop in every now and then, pay a taxi to, to bring her and the taxi would wait and outside and then she'd come in and ask all her Dharma questions which she had written down. She was very kind of uh, efficient in that way and, and uh, was very English saying, I don't want to be a nuisance and take up all your time. Get her business over and rush out. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that is uh, a memory. Now it's important to to uh, to put this the, this perceptive ability in that perspective of of merely what comes and goes in your mind, rather than 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 making it into something more than that, because that's where we really go off the track when we cause all the problems and difficulties to ourselves and the world around us, because we we do believe our opinions and views and our perceptions of ourselves and others are. We believe in them. We attach to them and we believe in them. And then we create all kinds of misery for ourselves around it and misery for others. This is uh, what's happening in, in Bosnia now. It's all based on that illusion, isn't it? People's minds believing that there are absolute, absolute Bosnian Muslims and absolutely fixed Bosnian Serbs and so forth. These people are, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a Bosnian Serb, then you hate Bosnian Muslims. And it's, that becomes uh, uh, the kind of attachment, the perception you're attached to. So whether anyone is a Bosnian Muslim or not doesn't make any difference. If you think they are, then you kill them. Do something horrible to them. This is, this is what I mean, this is this is the, the the this is one of the most horrible examples of what happens in our minds, but but it goes on and on and on in society. You hear it, you know, in the political problems of Britain or uh, all the fears, uh, uh, suspicions, racial uh, prejudices, ethnic biases, religious prejudices, class prejudices, uh, all the bitterness and, and resentment of, of, the, what, of the things that have been done against us or against our group or against our country from the past and, and so forth. And, and we can, and, and we can get this, this, this emotion going inside us where we just want to strike out, lash out, get even, seek revenge, uh, get rid of the bad ones, make them suffer like they made me suffer. This kind of, of emotional reaction is, is quite common. It's a low level, yes. It's low level, but it's certainly, I think we can all understand it. I think we've all felt it. And when, some, when someone has hurt me, I remember wanting to seek revenge. 
fortunately, I'm not into into seeking. I'm not ter- I'm not prone towards vindictiveness. I certainly felt the felt it as an emotion. When we, in this, this in, in Vipassana meditation, where we take these, these five groups, and the, the Sanya Kanda, the, the Perception Kanda, I found that because in the Western world we, we really believe in our views and opinions and in our feelings. We really believe it that, that, that it's true. And uh, we, and so we, we, uh, we do get very biased and blinded by our own kind of righteousness, self-righteousness. And then we become very heavy and very insensitive, and and say things and do things and uh, to others, or we or we tend to suppress. We can also, have, it always goes inward too, or hating ourselves, having very strong opinions about ourselves, which can be very uh, unpleasant, very painful things that we're, that we're very much attached to. And, it, and when you examine it in terms of, of sanya, then you, you begin to, to see it. It's merely just a, a thing that comes up in the mind and comes and goes. It's a, it has no core. It has no essence. It's insubstantial. It has no heart. It has no soul. It's just what it is. And when you keep examining that, especially like, like do it with, with uh, say, things that First, are not too emotionally fraught for you, but for a while you can even take the the people that that you feel that arouse say anger or uh, in your mind when the memory of them, and you can begin to just see it in terms of of a of a condition that arises and ceases in your mind, because you're you're observing in the in the mind itself where things cease, the conditions that cease in the unconditioned, the mortal thing that takes you to immortality. Because if you, if you keep that perspective of the relationship of the mortal to immortal and apply that just in very simple practical ways to your mind. Don't go around thinking your mind is immortal and you're attached to another perception. Because <laughs> we're not trying to, to hold on to a belief that we're immortal or our minds are immortal but you're, you're observing that the relationship of the conditioned or the mortal to the unconditioned, the immortal, and and you can and in uh, in mindfulness, say in this ability to be mindful, is the is the gateway to immortality, to realization of immortality. And more that you you uh, contemplate this then you, you, you let go, you release, you resolve the conditions of your life, your karma, in your mind. You're resolving it. 
you're letting it go. You're letting it cease. You're letting it die. What arises ceases. What, what is born dies. You're letting what is born, you're letting it die. So there's this, this, this mindful watching and listening. This is the, the attentiveness, ability to watch and listen and be attentive and reflect to bring you to use your thinking ability to to reflect on what's the, what's what it is so you, you know you're given the the clues by the buddha the the conditioned unconditioned and the the impermanent nature of the condition you're definitely emphasizing that over and over all that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing then he's talking about realizing the amata dhamma. The, and so that, that if you keep, keep contemplating in this way, you, you break through the, the force of habit, the, the cultural conditioning, the uh, underlying assumptions based on ignorance and all the rest of it that tend to, to uh, uh, make you think otherwise or, or, or believe in, in things to be other than what they really are according to the way you've been conditioned to think or react, or what your culture, or religion, or parents, or whatever, have told you. You're, you're, you're getting outside just that kind of the cultural patterns through your own direct realization. And so in this, this form of a human being, you see it's great, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a it's, it's a form in which this can be done. This realization is possible within this human state. It's the human mind is a mind that can reflect on, on the way things are. We're not just a, a rational creature. We used to think that that was our, the greatest, the height of our humanity was our ability to think rationally, but that's not it. I mean, computers have taken over now. went in to see Venerable Jitindra this morning, was sitting at his desk with his computer, and said, that's your brain on the desk. <laughs> so to be rational, you just need a computer. They don't, there's nothing transcendent about it, and that's not the, even though that's pretty darn clever, admittedly, but but in the long run, it, it's it's uh, it, it's it's really n- uh, nothing to to uh, take refuge in. <laughs> Some people out here take refuge in their computers, <laughs> but uh, I don't. Not ever knowing anything about them, I can't really say. <laughs> but I would assume that, it, uh, that it's not worth it.
So the reflective, contemplative mind, intuitive, you know, the intuition is always now, isn't it? The intuitive mind is now. It's not rational, it's not cultivated. It's always, it's a receptivity the, uh, of, the, of the now. And that's all there ever is. Um, intuition, if we, if we trust in it, then we, then we are, uh, we have, it's an act of, it's like what faith is all about, trusting. Not, not in trying to, to figure it out, because as soon as we, we, we leave the intuitive awareness into trying to figure it all out, we can get it all wrong through, just by clumsily trying to perceive it in, 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 through the conditioning of our minds. And that's why uh, it is uh, so important to, to uh, say, say, decondition the mind. In other words, it's a kind of meditation that's like brainwashing. It's washing your brain, cleaning, it, cleaning your brain, deconditioning rather than, than conditioning. Usually brainwashing is a sign of conditioning, isn't it? Making you kind of believe in, in things that, that the uh, person that wants, wants you to, the, the tyrannical system that wants you to to follow along blindly, they brainwash you. But in this, brainwashing is, is an actual cleansing, purifying. So you're deconditioning. You're not trying to become a Buddhist or become enlightened or become uh, something. You're not trying to become, that's where these words like sotapanna, uh, sakadakami, anakami, arahant, are, we have to be careful how we use those because we tend to use those words out of our ignorant conditioned mind. So it's, I want to become a sotapanna or become an arahant and become enlightened. And, and it's, uh, that, is, that, gives the, that gives the wrong information. It's not the what happens, that's not how it is. You don't become. You don't become enlightened or become an arahant. That whole way of thinking needs to be relinquish because that's not how it is that's a, that tends to misrepresent it so in uh, say in in learning to think in a more precise way we we use the uh, dhamma teachings of the buddha not as to kind of just memorize them and repeat them you know, the kind of mechanical repetitions, but actually, through our insights, using those those teachings for reflection, we have the insights. So we realize there is suffering, but nobody's suffering. It's, it sounds like paradoxes to us, doesn't it? There is enlightenment, but nobody ever gets enlightened. It sounds like. Yeah, it's, there is enlightenment, but nobody ever gets enlightened, and so nobody is enlightened. There are, there is arahant. There is, there is arahantship, but there's nobody that's an arahant. Mm-hmm. And so then they say, well, maybe you know, time of the Buddha there were arahants, but now time is different. We're much more. 
uh, kind of uh, defiled and we're not as pure as they were 2,500 years ago in India. The mind, we can explain it all like that. I've seen that even in Thailand. Monks would, would say there aren't any arahants or sotapannas anymore. Things like this. And, and, uh, but they didn't mean it in the right way. They were just using it as an excuse not to have to bother to practice. <laughs> so Ajahn Chah said, oh, you're, you're, you're a monk for a free meal. Is that what you're here for? <laughs> Too lazy to go to work, so you just want to scrounge off the people, get a free meal. want to... There is dukkha, but it's not absolute. Notice that there is dukkha, but it's not, say, there is dukkha as an absolute. It's a pointing, isn't it? There is dukkha. And then when we, when we see the dukkha, say, we, we, the, the things we're attached to, the, the, uh, the suffering that, we're, that we, we're feeling, we see it in terms of there is this rather than I am this. And that's an important way to see it. It's important to see it because that's, that's what it is. That's how it is. Maybe there is suffering because you're attached to things. There's attachment to, to things. But, but in, in reflective, intuitive awareness, then we, then we see there, there's suffering. We're looking at it. We're, we're understanding the suffering. We're not, we're not thinking, I'm suffering. We're not, we're not going to operate from that, from that perception, I'm suffering. Because if we do, then what happens? We think, I'm suffering, what do I do to, do to, what did I do to deserve this? It's your fault that I'm suffering, or it's my fault because I'm such a horrible person and the world's not fair and God did it all wrong and the whole realm of grumbling, complaining, depressing thoughts arise. Because I'm suffering and I don't want to suffer. What did I do to deserve this? Whereas in reflective, intuitive awareness, is you're not trying to say life is wonderful and I'm happy or I don't suffer. There's no suffering, but there is. There's this feeling, this this heat, this anguish, or this grief, or whatever. There's the, there there it is, and we go to it. We we accept it. We acknowledge it. We receive it, and through that receptivity, we we resolve it. It ceases. The condition ceases in the unconditioned, the mortal dies in the deathless, in the immortal. And when you do that, then the result is, is non-suffering, is a, a peace, a peacefulness. And notice this, and just in you who are on this meditation retreat, notice when you're really letting things go in your mind, that, that sense of peace and calm, bliss, comes from, that's non-attachment. And there's nobody at that moment. 
When you start becoming somebody, then it's gone. When you want it again, you want you want to have it or or you, whatever, then then you the the desire and then the attachment and the process starts up again. You become somebody who wants to have happiness or bliss or peace and doesn't want to have maybe the confusion or annoyance or the unpleasantness of what of the suffering that you're feeling in the moment. So we and and so in reflective awareness we're we're noticing that. We're paying attention to that in in its subtle in its subtlety. Don't wait for a kind of a full blown kind of thunderbolt, full you know, a brilliant thunderbolt to zap you because in it's, it's the we're working on a sub, on a subtle level. In the middle way of the transcendent or the imminence of the here and now which has no extremity to it. It's not absolutely fantastic or or absolutely horrible. Bringing your attention to the way it is, just the body, the breath, the silence. This, this is this is where you, you you keep grounding and centering yourself, to to bring yourself, to keep reminding, remembering now. Because we are forgetful, and we get carried away. The force of habit is so strong to to get carried away with things that that we forget. So mindfulness is also memory, remembering. But you're remembering things in the right way. You're not just getting sentimental about it, remembering the good old days. Or when Sister Upala used to come in a taxi to the Hampstead Vihara, getting sentimental and gooey about it. That's, that's, that's sentimental memory. But this is remembering the way things are because we forgot. You get carried away with anger or greed or something and then, then you forget. You, you're, you're caught in this, in this heedless reaction, reactiveness and confusion of the mind. So you remember. The refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, we can make that into like a, to help us to remember. There, those are perceptions, yes, just like any others. But they're, they're tools for, uh, to use to remember. The Buddha is, is the awakened one. The Dhamma is uh, the way things are. So, I mean, the, 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 that, that relationship of knowing the way things are is, is the refuge. It's consciousness, isn't it? It's the pattern of consciousness, subject to object. And that's the way it is in this form, isn't it? Each one of us is the subject. And the rest is the object. I mean, we're, we're born in an individual form like this. And, and so it's... Uh, 
you know, the actual experience through consciousness is a subject-to-object one. And that, that is uh, reflected in the, in the refuge of Buddha to Dhamma. Instead of me and, and the things that happen to me, it's, it's changed from, from the translating in, in terms of me as a personality who, uh, that things happen to to this, this uh, universal pattern is exemplified in Buddha knowing the Dhamma. So the Buddha is, is that pure knowing, awakenness, attentiveness of mind. When there's mindfulness, when there's awakeness, that's Buddha. You don't become Buddha. To become Buddha, you've got to, to go back to your old way of thinking about I am not the Buddha and I will become one. But in, but in, uh, in terms of, of intuitive awareness, then the refuge in Buddha is not a, a sentimental refuge. It's not just a, you know, a nice thing to, to, to be attached to as a, as a pleasant, pleasant idea in the mind. But it's uh, the reality of being. Because in that awakenness, there's, there's, there's not a person. It's not a personality. It's not Ajahn Sumato or anyone else. In that pure awareness, that's universal. That's Buddha, Buddha nature. Or the Buddha mind. That's not an individual possession or characteristic. And then, then we see, then there's the scene, the right scene of Dhamma. The conditions as the, what arises and ceases and the unconditioned. We realize the unconditioned. So note in this, in this form, we, we realize the relationship, the cessation of the condition and the uncon- to the unconditioned is that relationship. You're not trying to 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 realize the unconditioned and grasp that, because in the form we're in, the 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 path is through the realization of of that dynamic relationship. The condition to the unconditioned, or the death to the deathless. And that we can do. That is, that is uh, not uh, the, and and we do it n- not in in a, in a big way, in little ways. That's why we we're, we're looking inward rather than trying to to uh, see it in in external things. It's just the movements of our mind. And more and more you begin to feel a sense of, of being at ease in being aware. At first, we, we're, not, we, we're not used to being aware continuously. You know, we're aware, you know, when, when things around us are danger, and then you're suddenly aware. But then it's easy for us to just sink into a mood. Get up and then go to, go to the morning, drag yourself off and, and just 
just follow a mood. And they go, oh, I wanted this robe, I'm tired of monastic life. And you can get enlightened if you're a lay person. And, and you go along, you know, you can carry on for the whole, for weeks, months. Some do it for years. Just, just uh, following moods, and uh, so that you know, even monastic life, one one can can just go through the motions of it. It doesn't. It's not like a magic formula that 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 uh, transforms you into being mindful. But recognize in monasticism that the forms are here for develop mindfulness. The, the robes, the bowl, the chanting, the whole thing is, is, is here, not, not because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's anything, uh, you know, that it has to be, or it's, uh, you know, it's, you have to have it and, and uh, be attached to it, or, or the other extreme is the kind of uh, um, cheeky Zen approach where you, you don't need Buddha Rupa's you don't need monks or morality and all that. Just mindfulness. And uh, you can, throughout the whole lot, the whole convention of religious conventions, spit on the Buddha. And that's another, uh, that's, that's not being mindful either. So that the, the, uh, the way then is, like, like see the, the, the say monastic conventions are are to to remind, to remember, to and and it's up to us to to use them. They are what they are. So, I mean, they can't do it themselves. Remember, they're 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 nothing in themselves. They're just conditions like anything else. They 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 can't kind of your robes can't go around saying wake up, tomato. But. Uh, but they, but I can, I can start waking up to my robes, contemplating the, the robe, the the bowl, the, the meaning of the chanting, the, contemplating the teachings of the Buddha, uh, developing the, concentration practices, and going through all this in in a way of, of using, attentive awareness, and wisdom. So that more and more my life is, is a, is a con- has more continuity, more integrated awareness through the right use of these conventions. Remember, the world is a, is has a, a certain power, screaming urgency to it. The world screams. Desire has a, is a, it can be really intimidating and overwhelming in how it manifests. But there's always something, no matter how what it is, there's always something in you that can be aware of it. Trust in that, in that 
just that, that, that kind of distance, that ability to just observe it, realize that, that it's, it's just that. No matter how urgent or important the worldly conventions might be proclaiming themselves, and maybe they really are. Maybe, you know, it's not to, to say that worldly conventions aren't important or urgent, but it's the ability to to be aware of them and put them in the perspective rather of in their relationship in, in, as Dhamma rather than to be just caught in the uh, reactiveness. The way we can just react to to the urgent sound of the world. And that means that we're just we're just on automatic pilot, isn't it? We're just a computerized creature, just a, a kind of dead computer, uh, kind of mechanical creature that's 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 programmed to react. The world says, It's important. We it's important. <laughs> We're, we're programmed like the computer so that we, we, we're, we're just on that level of, of just being a, a condition that, that just follows its reaction, that, that's con- that condition to react, programmed to react to, to various things in various ways. Then to, to be free from that is to be aware of it doesn't mean we, we, we don't feel it, we don't experience it anymore, but we, can, we, start, we start paying attention to it. So note that the Buddha is the knowing, the attentive, the aware, the intelligent. And out of that is, you say, the, the relationships then to to the world are compassionate ones, loving ones. It's not a, a cold-hearted uh, Buddha that says all conditions are impermanent, suffering and not self, and and dismisses the all the conditioned world. Is it? That's not it. That's that's your rational mind. That's not intuition. That as you abide more in the intuitive awareness, then you relate your relationships, what, how, you, how you live in, in relation to the world, to the people, to the beings, is through the metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, the, the Brahma Viharas. Because that's from the pure, they're called the pure abode, that's from the, the pure mind of the Buddha. It's not a cold-hearted, chilly Buddha that says, doesn't matter, it's all impermanent, suffering and not self. Goodbye. Goodbye, cruel world. I've dismissed you. (laughs) (laughs) Or, Sister Upala's died, all things that arise cease. Stiff upper lip. If you're really mindful, you won't cry. <laughs> and attached to the opinions you 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 grasp out of your some of our spurious interpretations of Buddha, of the Pali scriptures. 
so i offer this for your reflection.